primary lessons that I take from scripture is that, boy, we're really bad at knowing the things that are good for us. Um, <laughs> the world is constantly saying to us, here are the things that will make things work, you know, money, talent, but gentleness and humility, uh, scripture says, are, are really the things that, that make these things work. Welcome to the Missing Voices Project. My name is Justin Forbes, and this podcast is all about youth ministry, young people on the margins of society and the church, and how we might better love, serve, and learn from those young people. I'm convinced that these often overlooked or forgotten adolescents belong in the church, and that our youth ministry should take them seriously. So, with each episode, we'll take a look at these ideas and together wrestle with what the future of youth ministry might just look like. Let's get into it. Justin Forbes. What's going on? Zach Grant. Hello, my friend. Thank you for doing this. You are going to record this episode while your twins are taking a nap. So I think what's going to end up happening is they're all going to wake up screaming and laughing and having done something really bad. And like people are going to be ringing the doorbell. The dog is going to be howling and it will be (laughs) just a true expression of what my life is like. (laughs) Well, that would be it, right? We'd catch the real Zach. So thanks for coming on this, uh, I guess, this podcast with us here. Um, I want to have a conversation with you, Zach, about uh, your work with young people with disabilities. Hmm. Um, So who I am and what I'm doing uh, are related, I guess. So I'll just so I started out working with Young Life, working with folks with disabilities through that ministry. And now, um, many, many years later, um, it, I work in a church. I'm here at St. James United Methodist in New Tampa, and I get to direct uh, ministry to folks with disabilities. That includes uh, young people with disabilities, but I really, um, it's wonderful. I get to work with folks with disabilities uh, from birth all through their very long life in Anything that the church touches, um, we want folks with disabilities in. Um, and so it's really uh, been a wonderful job that kind of really ties together well. A lot of my work uh, that I started out doing um, in college with adolescents with disabilities, and then that as those folks grew up, I ended up doing ministry with adults with disabilities. Right. And um, and then also kind of a growing um, sense of, you know, my calling to work in the church and, you know, the church's breadth of you know, contact with people's lives. So, Excellent. So I met you when you were in high school. I thought, I thought middle school, but really you were in high school, I guess. 
And yeah, I think I met Dominic Cini, who was like a, a peer of yours in uh-huh. middle school. Okay. Uh, a little bit, I would see him in the lunchrooms, but I, I never came to Young Life or anything like that until right. high school. Right. So somehow in high school, at the end of high school, and then as a college student, you were first exposed to this work with young young people with disabilities. And was that a part of your family growing up? I mean, why why did you end up in this place? Yeah, and that that is a common way in which people kind of find themselves in disability ministry as they kind of have these relationships through their family and that kind of awakens them to this broader need. Um, I did not have any um, real strong connection to disability. I think um, if you, it doesn't take too far to find somebody with disabilities in any community. And so my family has some of that, but I never really thought about it like that growing up. Um, I got involved just doing junior leadership. Um, Kyle Hasbrook was the area director in St. Augustine at the time. And he invited me to work with middle schoolers. And I started working with my friend, um, Zach Strait's little brother, Nicholas. And I, I don't know if I can say names. You can just bleep all that out if that's important. But anyway, <laughs> Nicholas was um, didn't have uh, any kind of um, diagnosis, uh, I think, Maybe he does, but he was just a kid really um, alone and had a very difficult time making friends and interacting socially with people. And that's how I thought about him. I didn't have really disability as my lens looking around Mm -hmm. in that middle school or as a high school student. And so I just became Nicholas's friend and Kyle had kind of identified in me uh, my ability to connect with him and other kids that had a hard time connecting. And so I remember taking him to camp at Windy Gap, which is a young life camp up in North Carolina. And it's this beautiful kind of sprawling Mecca of Christian summer camping. And Nicholas did not want to interact with any of the hundreds of other campers. (laughs) He didn't want to interact with any of the like um, amazing amenities that this camp had. He bought a Frisbee in the camp store and we spent, uh, he called it ri- River Frisbee, and we just would throw Frisbee back and forth in this uh, <laughs> gully of, like, a really a ditch, uh, like, out of sight of just about everybody else in the camp. Um, and that's, that's how we spent life. that entire week. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, you know, and for whatever reason, it, it was also one of the best weeks of Nicholas's life, you know, just spending that time with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I remember, you know, it was there at that camp. I think uh, you had said, Hey, let's start doing disability young life. Uh, it's called Capernaum. Let me tell you about it. And I think your work here uh, with Nicholas was kind of, that was one of the things that probably cued you up to maybe suggest that I would be a good leader. And so, but I didn't know anything about what it meant and I didn't know anything about, um, what it would be like and and i don't think you did either and no clue. we just kind of uh just jumped in and we're kind of ministering out of our guts and just trying to build relationships like we would uh with any kid um which turned out to be actually a really good way to start i think and is it probably is a, a really faithful way to do disability ministry is to just uh 
you know, run after kids as you would uh, any other one. But, you know, there's a lot of other kind of finer points to learning the language and particular needs of folks with disabilities sure. uh, that we picked up along the way. But Sure. So as so you know, kind of... yeah, well, so as you know, part of what we're doing in the Missing Voices Project with this, this whole grant is helping or wanting to walk alongside 12 congregations uh, to start, to jump in and, and to try and start doing something just like you just talked about, like just get going, right? Like jump in and do it and learn as you go. For you, you know, a moment ago you, you said something to the effect of, I don't know what it was going to be or we didn't know what it would be. Well, what what was it? Like, what was it about that experience that you had first in college that then, you know, began to shape your education and you went on after graduating from Flagler, you went on to Princeton Seminary and that was a part of your education there. And it has just become really the focus of your life and ministry. So... What is yeah, it about there, what is it about that? There there were two kind of over one kind of formative summer, there were two main experiences that I, I can really point to and say, this is where it really got started for me. Hmm. Um, there was this one kid that I worked with uh, through our ministry to kids with disabilities and um, and this kid was and is uh, even now as as he's an adult. Um, just so buck wild. I mean, he, like as <laughs> just as a as somebody who might like be over a uh, youth minister or something in, in my position now, um, this kid would scare me. And you know, <laughs> um, but we invited him to do uh, ministry with us over the course of a couple weeks in what we were doing in Saint Augustine called the Summer Urban Program, where we would take. Um, a bunch of college students and we would go minister through the local rec programs with um, some urban uh, African-American kids in St. Augustine. And so this guy with disabilities came along with us and it was so difficult and so taxing, but um, one, he loved it and he was transformed mm. just by being in community with folks and giving of his gifts and uh, ministering out of the things that God had given him. Uh, and so he was being transformed there and it was beautiful to see, but also our community that we were going forth in mission with, we were transformed and different sensibilities developed and showed themselves through our relationship with this guy um, in a way that I said, well, uh, this is something special hmm. and any community, uh, any Christian community needs to be formed in this way that we're being formed by including our friend with disabilities. Can you remember, I mean, can you name or articulate any of those sensibilities? I mean, what is it that you're talking about? The things that we were kind of receiving from him primed us to also receive things from those kids. And it made us kind of a gentler presence there on campus. And that, um, I, I'm reading this book right now, um, uh, Canoeing Through the Mountains. Uh, it's kind of, a lot of people have been reading it, but uh, it involves kind of Lewis and Carroll's uh, trek through uh, to find the, you know, um, uh, the passage across continental United States. And anyway, one of the things that helped them to get through all this hostile territory was Sacagawea. And I know I'm going on too long about this, but 
she <laughs> was there with um she was there with her infant and partly they could see uh these native american tribes could see that this was not a war party because no war party would be traveling with uh, a woman and a child and so I kind of feel that way when I'm out in ministry with my friends with disabilities. There's something that says to people that we are not a war party, that this is a, hmm. a group that has gentleness and, uh, you know, kind of good intentions. And it's uh, kind of a subtle thing to, but it, I don't know, it, it, that was transformative. Um, the other thing was then, Ben Brewer was a guy who I was doing summer staff with, and he came to serve at a Young Life camp, as many people do. Uh, and he was working in the snack bar, and then my job was there to help make sure that he was well included and well able to do his job. And it was another exhausting thing, but also Ben's uh, had a tremendous wisdom and uh, just great sensibilities that were many people might not because he had cerebral palsy and had a lot of, um, you know, difficulties talking or feeding people might think this guy is going to be a burden, but again, it just changed the character of our fellowship. And mm. um, so I was just struck by the fact that um, these guys have gifts for the church. Um, but also I knew that I was, I needed the church to do this kind of ministry. So we, I kind of had, uh, I knew that it was something that the church needed and, but also that, that we needed the church. So that, that interdependence, um, is another one of those kind of sensibilities that I think that we all feel that we're interdependent and if we were asked, but, um, in a way that really takes it kind of beyond just like mere prudence, mm -hmm. um, into, just something that requires faith because there aren't a lot of organizations uh, today that say I need a Ben or a Joey in every level um, in order for me to do what my mission commands. Um, but I think that that's, that's what Jesus is telling us hmm. for the mission of the church. How do you navigate whether it's culture or the church itself that, I mean, almost, naturally sadly uh, resist these gifts what do you think of that yeah well and in some ways it's natural i mean it's part of my difficulty in probably expressing exactly what are the things that all of our friends bring is because a lot of times we just don't know um, before we get into it and it's not always something that we um we can point to incredibly clearly but also that scripture is always one of the primary lessons that I take from scripture is that, boy, we're really bad at knowing the things that are good for us. Um, <laughs> we, we really have. And, and I think that that is, that's the struggle for the church is that the world is constantly saying to us, uh, here are the things that will make things work, you know, money, mm -hmm. talent, um, and, and, particularly those talents that, you know, if, if I wanted to say how, you know, uh, a football uh, captain uh, might be an asset to my youth ministry, 
oh boy, you know, you say he's popular. Uh, he's got natural leadership skills like, uh, you know, confidence, eloquence, all those things. Um, and the world says that those are the things that are going to make your youth ministry run just like they might make your business or any other sort of uh, endeavor that you get into. Uh, but gentleness and humility uh scripture says are are really the things that that make these things work it's it's this body of all these different sorts of gifts and um and so to to point to somebody with cerebral palsy or down syndrome or uh, mental health issues and say hey guys uh, this is the weak member that we need to kind of clothe with greater honor this is um this is a gift that we don't have and right now we're trying to kind of shamble around as the body of christ but we're we're actually in pieces and we're missing really serious vital organs so hmm. um so you know it's it's just a stretch for folks and people any kind of difference i think scares people and mm-hmm. we naturally get gather towards people that look like us and people whose situations we're familiar with because we've got that sense of control uh, of the known. And so it, yeah. Uh, so we have that resistance and just that there are so many good things to be about in the church. And so oftentimes the work of reaching out to folks with disabilities, that seems like a niche ministry and, um, uh, so it's really difficult to help people to see how the way that I'm reaching out to adolescents with disabilities is, is also going to create in us sensibilities that whenever you are disabled, when you, uh, you know, for instance, in my job, I get to work with, in addition to folks with developmental disabilities, I get to work with um, folks with acquired disabilities, um, folks who are experiencing dementia, Alzheimer's, um, Mm. Parkinson's. And so that, if we live long enough, that's going to be all of us. Uh, If if we're lucky, we're all going to experience some disability. We'll uh, we'll wear out. And, but that's kind of, that's a little bit further off. And so it's easy to, and also that um, we don't really always treat you know, uh, old people in our, uh, communities very well. So, right. Um, you know, it's interesting. You said these words, you said, um, someone with weakness, you talked about, um, covering them with honor. Um, those are not like, I think the way that you're thinking about those terms is very different. Like you're, you're reloading the word weakness with a different meaning than the way that we might use that in culture. You're, you're imagining, um, you just said, you know, if we're lucky enough, we'll get to the point where we experience a disability. And, you know, I'm familiar with the conversation around disability as a social construct and this idea that, you know, who is able and what does it mean to be disabled by a community, those sort of ideas. But I think that you're trying to say that there are uh, sort of prophetic voices or gifts or there's something of beauty and goodness wrapped up in something that we have called disability or that we have dismissed in a way. Um, 
What is that? Yeah, I think that's part of the whole that that our inability to know the the things that are really valuable. Yeah. You know, we just misdiagnose these things all the time. And you know, when we look at Jesus's ministry, you know, it goes from vulnerability and weakness to vulnerability and weakness. You know, he's mm. um, he's born as this vulnerable child without means, uh, kind of seen as a inconvenience to the people to you know all the places he's trying to go and be born in and then he dies on the cross without uh celebration without control um and he's ministering to all of these folks who are uh, not the best of the best not the um, movers and shakers in his society and so um jesus is identifying these people though as uh, the people that are going to be um, carrying his ministry forward, um, who will become the church. Mm. Uh, and, but we, we kind of look at that, but then, um, we don't always take it really seriously when we're looking into our communities and saying, um, you know, this child with Down syndrome, I think Jesus would probably, uh, I, I feel pretty confident in saying, that Jesus would affirm this child's life and Jesus would be able to um, suss out the gifts that this child is going to bring. Um, but our society uh, often is, you know, working at odds with Jesus, which is mm-hmm. not a new story, but. No. So Zach, how do you think, how has this affected you as a, as a, as a Christian, uh, just you yourself as a father, as a friend, as a husband. I mean, you have spent the last, what, 10, 15 years in and out of this work. How are you a different person today because of these relationships? I I think it does. One of the things that I love most about it when I look into my ministry is that people might, come to me and say, this person doesn't fit anywhere else. This person is looking to serve, but we, we don't know where to put them or we're, we're worried that, um, that they'll get beat up or chewed up, uh, in the church. Um, and so people would, I guess, kind of recognize that my, my ability or my um, inclination to value and to be a gentle, uh, presence that could work with some folks and, um, help to, I don't know, I guess, affirm them in, in their ministry. And so, I don't know. Um, and I think that it, that vulnerability or that sense of gentleness that I think my friends with disabilities have, kind of rubs off on me, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe I might have, um, you know, studied philosophy and religion at uh, Flagler and then gone on to study, uh, get my master's of divinity at Princeton and had a ministry of being right <laughs> or, or <laughs> trying to be, um, trying to do all the right things or, or be correct in my thinking and in, in the, you know, um, where I think because my friends with disabilities have been as much uh, my teachers as any professor have, 
um, that that ministry of vulnerability, that ministry of gentleness. And it, I mean, it really is something that just, I think is transformative professionally, but also, you know, kind of, as you said, um, personally, it, I think it, um, gives me a more gracious, uh, and, uh, I've said vulnerable like a million times, but just that ability <laughs> to not be in control and not, and to, to be able to let things unfold without having to wrangle them or force them, but, but to make that space of hospitality for people to come in and, um, you know, give what they have to offer. Yeah. What about the church? How has, how has this ministry at your church, St. James, right? St. James United Methodist. Right. How do you think this ministry that was there before you got there, that you were invited to come and develop, uh, how has that shaped or changed the character of the church? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, yeah, kinder, a, a more a kinder, gentler church because of it. I had these two twins that worked with me in St. Augustine, and they were, gosh, uh, they were just wonderful, really just sensitive, um, kind. They would come into a classroom or a lunchroom, and they'd be able to connect well with students, and students sensed that they were just um, people that were willing to be their friends. And, you know, I was asking them, why are you guys so good? Uh, why, <laughs> what's the deal? Um, and part of their story was that they had grown up with their um, aunt who was um, pretty severely limited by her cerebral palsy. And they were like, we were total brats and we didn't get it at the time. And we, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, there were parts of it that we hated, you know, having this aunt and having all of her limitations be part of our family. Um, but, that's what was forming us all this, all, all that time. And, uh, in hindsight, we know that that's been one of the, that relationship is one of been a really tremendous gift. Yeah. And so I think that that's true for our church. We are total brats sometimes and we don't get it and we don't always, uh, receive our friends with disabilities, but over time, um, we're, we're better and better at it. And these obstacles or, limitations that present themselves in a moment as a problem um, are actually these things that are growing us, that are building us up and um, developing in us sensibilities so that we're seeing not just where um, maybe our friends with disabilities need a little bit of extra patience or a little bit of extra accommodation in order for them to activate their gifts, but where any person might need a little bit of extra accommodation, a little bit more grace, uh, uh, a little bit of a sweeter, more patient uh, approach. And, and so, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's been a wonderful thing to be able to uh, stand on the shoulder of the people and the community that has already been uh, working so hard to do that. And then to, bring the gifts that I have and the um, passions that I have to help take it a little bit further. Okay, I'm going to tee you up here, all right? I'm going to throw oh, you a softball. This is going to be great. Yeah, let's all do right. this. So, 
what would your dream for the church be as it relates to folks with disabilities? What's your dream? Are you, do you mean like church big C or my particular congregation? Yes. Okay, great. (laughs) Yeah. So one thing um, that I would love for the church in general, so there's a thing that happens in youth ministry sometimes, uh, which is actually not that great, but I think it's, it, it could be representative of something really beautiful for people with disabilities. I want to see the way that in youth ministry, like kids are like poached from youth group to youth group. And like, you know, everybody's like trying to draw like the same, you know, like 40 Christians, like to every youth group in, uh, in St. Augustine. Um, and it's like, sometimes youth ministers get all like, bitter. I would love for that to be the case for folks with disabilities. And that, and that every church in St. Augustine would be so um, hungry for the gifts that they have to offer and would see the uh, tremendous way in which they can help take us forward and, um, you know, working on our mission that, that God's given us. If they would see all these folks with disabilities the way they see, you know, uh, the Christian captain of uh, the local football team so that everybody was just racking their brains. How am I going to get these guys into the church? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that would be a beautiful picture to me. Mm. Um, and, and if we could, I think if we could see the gifts of students with disabilities in that way, that would also give us the same sensibilities in order to see that in any student on the margin, whoever the church is not working for, um, that we would see that kind of not as a problem with that group of people, um, whether it's, you know, uh, teenagers who are dressed in some alternative, you know, whatever it is that we wouldn't see it them as those kids have a problem. And so they're not in the church that way we would see, boy, our, our proclamation of the gospel has not been big enough to bring in these students. And I, I think that I would love to see that shift happen um, in the church overall. And I mean, and certainly, um, we're a couple steps further along than many other congregations. Um, but also, you know, we have our ways in which, you know, we have programs for folks with disabilities and we have a staff person who's there to remove any obstacles, but do we have folks with disabilities in every level of leadership within the church? No, you know, uh, do we, um, are the resources, uh, of our church, uh, geared in such a way that they are lifting up people with disabilities? Um, they're, they're doing pretty good. I don't, uh, my, my bosses will hear this and say, oh, you, you know, um, uh, we, we, we've got some good resources for it, but, um, just well, it sounds the, like what you're saying is not developing a program on the side for folks with disabilities, but rather uh, looking at anything and everything within the life of the church as a place where everyone should be invited or included. And that right. if and we look at a almost, section of the church and it doesn't have anyone with disabilities, that that wouldn't make sense, in fact, if it were to reflect the community. Yeah, and if I could just work myself out of a job in terms of the fact that if, if everybody, in some ways, doing disability ministry well is just doing ministry really well. If, if, um, just being the church meant that we would naturally 
um, think about people uh, with disabilities. You know, think about the people that we don't have to think about that aren't right. don't have power to kind of leverage programs for themselves. Um, right. That would be that would be the best. Yeah, maybe that's a vision, right? Like we don't need associate pastors of you know ministry with folks with disabilities. It would just be the associate pastor. Period. Like it wouldn't be a youth ministry expression focused on young people with disabilities. It would just be what good youth ministry looks like. Right, right. Hmm. So okay. Zach, help me understand, there is this temptation to talk about the gifts of people with disabilities in an instrumental way that, you know, oh, the value of this person is the fact that they would slow us down or the value of this person is that they would help us become more gentle. So while that's true, um, and that would be like a secondary reality, a primary reality would just be that they belong, period, or something like that. How do we resist that temptation to develop programs or well-meaning initiatives within the church and not fall into the trap of instrumentalizing those relationships? I don't really know. I think <laughs> that, I know. Uh, well, it was great talking with you. See you later. Yeah, well, uh, that's the short answer. Um, I think that friendship is one of the things that helps. And I, I, I kind of want to... I, I think that it's important to do uh, disability ministry right and sensitively, uh, but also what that means is always changing, and there's not going to be – you're going to look back on whatever I say in five years. Nobody's going to look back on this in five years and say anything. Uh, <laughs> but you, you could look back, and you could say, uh, Zach's sensibilities here are off. Uh, he, he missed the mark. Um, based on how the field is developing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think with friendship and relationships, you you just keep ask, you just have to keep coming back and saying, uh, this person is my friend. What does it mean to be a good friend to them? Mm -hmm. uh, and and it means most of the same, the way that we wouldn't instrumentalize anybody's presence in our congregation really is, you know, it means the same thing, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. There's uh, anytime we are kind of looking at the value of somebody in our community by the things that they bring or by the um, the way. I mean, every every person that comes into your church is going to be forming you in some way, but also that's not the primary thing or the primary value in having them uh, like, these are all things that work out, but, um, and that we can certainly point to when we're in a meeting and saying, you know, we need these people because, uh, these guys bring us gentleness or these guys help uh, to slow us down and help us to take a more deliberate kind of, um, look at the life of faith. Um, but primarily, you know, they're our brothers, they're our sisters, uh, they're our friends. And so uh, I think if you, if you keep focused on that, even if, I don't know if that just seems too simplistic, but yeah. I think that you're going to keep asking that question um, and keep, you know, keep walking within the right tensions. Yeah. 
So friendship becomes a helpful lens or filter. Yeah, I, I remember there was some quote saying, uh, I can't remember who, I'm not quoting the author very well, but you know, it, they were just saying the best way that we, the best thing that we can do with our friends with disabilities is to be their friends. Hmm. And um, so I think a ministry of friendship where a lot of these differences kind of start to uh, reduce themselves and we kind of become the church in the process, the, the way that God has broken down the walls of separation between himself uh, and also each other that we can kind of go forward mm-hmm. and just, I think that's just ongoing work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Let's close with this. Uh, you've got, you, you get to stand before the 12 congregations that we end up working with and they're at the front end of their projects and you are going to invite them into this space where they could fail. They're going to try some new things. They're going to try out some ideas that might feel a little risky. How would you want to encourage them to move forward? Or what, what would motivate you to want to move forward into some of those sort of spaces? Um, I guess just the wonderful way in which we just don't know what's going to be good for us. And we don't know the ways in which, um, the things that failure will someday be victory. Um, you know, that's modeled well for us on the cross, but also all the time with my friends with disabilities, I will be doing something. I will have some kind of a plan and invariably it will become delayed or derailed, made nearly unrecognizable. And, and it feels, (laughs) and it has felt for years, uh, like failure. And I think less and less as, as my friends, um, kind of develop in me a certain, um, you know, flexibility or, uh, kind of a wonderful adaptiveness. Um, I'll, I'll, I remember I've got this great friend, um, who is from St. Augustine and still there. You, you guys will know him well, but anytime we, we would speak about Jesus, um, in club, which all the time, you know, in youth ministry, you're speaking about Jesus. Um, he would like, come up with an action figure that would, and, and it would be insistent. Like everything had to stop until I was holding this Jesus action figure or <laughs> Mary action figure. And, and it felt totally like disruption. Uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, you realize it's just the embodied lesson that you needed for, uh, mm-hmm. this particular situation. Um, I think there's a lot of, there are reasons why people end up on the margins and it's because they're leading us into these really uncomfortable places, but that, you know, that's where you find the next thing. And Hmm. a a lot of times when you're working in institutions, I feel like sometimes if the next big thing came up, uh, we would surely crucify it. Um, but, um, I think that in that, in embracing the thing that we were not supposed to embrace, um, we find life. We find, Hmm. we find the new thing that, um, that keeps the church's mission fresh and, and wonderful. Man, that line that you just said, the reason that people are on the margins is because they're leading us to places we don't want to go or something like that. How did, how did you say that? 
I don't remember. Um, it was brilliant. All right, yeah, we'll we'll listen to it uh, later on. It will be a, a gift to me uh, then as it was. <laughs> but there's something about that, though, Zach. Like the reason the reason that these people, whoever it is we might be referring to, have been marginalized by society and even the church, is that they're leading us to a place we don't really want to go. And if that's not the invitation of Jesus to follow, I don't know what is. And of course, Jesus was marginalized and ended up on a cross. Of course, the announcement of the reign of God uh, becomes a marginalized experience. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I think, I think there's just something about young people on the margins that is going to help make that more clear. I think this way of talking about we don't know what is good for us is a really helpful way to think. That seems, I'll, I'll probably hold on to that for a little bit here. I don't know what's good for me. And the things that I do think are good for me might be, in fact, the very thing distracting me from what is actually good. Hmm. Yeah. You should do like a big project on this or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Man, I, maybe we should uh, like try and see if we can get a grant to yeah. look into it. No, I'm, I'm excited. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me into this. This is... Uh, just the sort of conversation I want to be having. Well, thank you, Zach. Thank you for being someone who has gone ahead of the church in the name of the church in many ways to help us uh, explore these margins where we might learn what is actually good for us. So. All right, everybody, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Missing Voices Project. You can learn more about what we are up to at missingvoices.flagler.edu. That's missingvoices.flagler.edu. I want to thank Noble Media for their production of the podcast and Troy Aragon Buchanan for the original music. We believe there are good and wonderful gifts to be enjoyed and voices to be lifted up and heard that exist at the margins of society and the church. I hope today's conversation might just push you to keep these young people in mind. What if your youth ministry made room for the kids we talked about today? Until next time, be well.